listening to The Jim Laird Show on Body IO FM, where health and performance collide with your host, Jim Laird. Hello and welcome to another edition of The Jim Laird Show brought to you by Body IO FM. I am your host, Jim Laird. Today I have Bill Hartman on the line, and Bill is a co-owner of iFast, uh, Indianapolis Fitness and Sports Training in Indianapolis, Indiana, and his business partner is Mike Robertson, who has been on the show before, and I owe a lot to Bill and Mike. A big part of the success I've had, especially with uh, the women's lifting team, um, is due to Mike, or Bill and Mike's um, influence on me, teaching me about strategies about circumferential expansion and just by learning about how you know people use different strategies to achieve certain things uh, and managing those strategies has really helped me um, maintain um, a healthy women's lifting team because you know most women when they get into lifting uh, if they're using a strategy that's not necessarily uh, what we would call efficient um, to lift weights, uh, more than likely they're going to end up with some sort of back or knee issue or hip, hip problem. And, and most women don't, don't lift, uh, don't like to lift if they're in pain. Uh, most of them have gravitated towards CrossFit. So, you know, most of the women I have are more normal everyday women. So they, you know, they don't want to be hurting all the time. And so that understanding of those concepts has allowed me to grow and continue to have you know women that lift and also with my general population clients it's it's been a game changer so bill how, how are you doing today i am great very That's, relaxed today this yes. is nice yeah it's a holiday monday bill was nice enough to come on here so we're gonna we're gonna bill has an unbelievable bio he's been doing this for a, a long time he's one of the most well-read and intelligent people that i that i know the the nice thing about bill too is he's he's super smart um, and he'll probably make your mind hurt at times, but he's really good at simplifying things, and he's, a, he's an outstanding teacher. Uh, he's a mentor to a lot of PTs. Um, so he's really good at taking complicated things and giving you, like, the bottom line, and he's also very honest about what he doesn't know or what we don't know, which is very refreshing because I've even, you know, fallen into that trap of pretending that I'm this all-knowing person, and there's really, the longer you do this, the more you understand that there's a lot we don't know and there's a lot we probably won't ever know um so bill let's start this off with i think one of the most misunderstood things not only in physical therapy but in also in with strength coaches or trainers when someone bill has this purple room that he works out of and he can explain why the room is purple but um bill when somebody comes to you how does your perspective change if they're a performance athlete or if they're a normal everyday person who's just looking to, to look good and feel good, how does your perspective change uh, when they come into your, your facility? I don't know if the, the perspective changes. It's, it's a matter of, of determining what our, our goal or our purpose is for, for the meeting. And, and are we trying to improve health or are we trying to drive performance? Because they are not the same thing. Um, when we're looking at, at things from a health perspective, we need to create adaptability 
in in the system. And, and when I say the system, I'm talking about the entire human. So, you know, we're we're one big system that's made up of of several subsystems. And and unfortunately, when we're when we're taught these things in school and through study, we tend to separate out all these individual systems because it's easier to learn, obviously, in, in chunks. But we have to understand that all of these systems interact every moment of every day under every circumstance. And, and when we're talking about trying to improve health, what we're trying to do is restore adaptability to as many systems as possible. Because a lot of times, and I would say, you know, in, in, in my scope of practice, it's, it's almost impossible to tell as to which system is limited in, in its adaptability or, or, as we would say, variability uh, to allow the entire system to adapt to a stressor or an environment or whatever. So, so in that case, I'm trying to broaden as much variability in the entire system as possible because I just don't know what the limiting factor is. Now, my scope of practice is limited such that we primarily use the movement system as our barometer as to the variability of the entire system, of the entire human. And, and so while that has limited in scope, thankfully, from my perspective, um, the movement system provides us a very, very powerful element of measurement because if you think about everything that goes on with, with a human tends to be about movement, even every thought that we have. So if, not to get too deep here, but you know, before uh, we could speak, we used gestures, which is movement, and those gestures became speech. And then as we learned how to uh, control our, our, uh, our nervous system, those, those, the speech became internalized, and so those are all our thoughts. So every thought that you have is actually movement-based. And if, if if you you know don't want to hear me say this, um, listen to a a TED talk from Daniel Wolpert, uh, who's a neuroscientist, and and he talks you you through it probably even better than than I could um, in regards to how how this this evolutionary perspective works. But getting getting back to the, uh, the original thought is that you know if if we're dealing with health, we want to expand the variability of the system to allow it to adapt and then self-regulate to protect itself or defend itself or to adapt. When we're talking about performance, though, when I bring an athlete in, and I'm going to make an assumption that we're talking about an athlete who, say, is not injured, not dealing with a pain experience, what I want to try to do there is to optimize his variability for performance. So depending on how narrow a, a scope he performs in, so for instance, a if I take a, a, a sprinter, like a 100-meter sprinter, the, their demands are very, very specific. So their energy system is very short-term energy system. The, the uh, amount of agility required um, is, is, is minimized because they're, they're running in a straight line. They even paint white lines on the track for them so they know exactly where they're going. There is very little uh, unpredictability in, in the entire event. And so in this case, to optimize performance, we're actually gonna restrict variability of systems to allow them to achieve a much, much higher output um, with the understanding 
understanding that in doing so, we actually may be sacrificing elements of, of overall health to allow this human to perform at such a high level. So again, we have to consider what is our goal of, of this meeting? Are we intending to improve health, expanding variability to allow the systems to become more adaptable, or are we intentionally trying to reduce variability to allow a higher level of performance? Yeah, thank you for covering that because it's one of the biggest things that I see when I meet with clients is a lot of them are chasing performance thinking it's going to lead to health. And I think that's one of the biggest misunderstandings in the fitness industry. Um, you can obviously have health and performance, but just chasing fitness is not going to lead to the overall health of an organism. I, I totally agree. I mean, and you know, you have to think about what is the supportive mechanisms for health, and that's our ability to restore and recover from a stressor, which, again, if we look at fitness as a stressor, which it is, and it's exceptionally beneficial, we need it. Yes. We have to have these stressors to promote uh, adaptations that make us more uh, immune to every stressor that we're exposed to. So that's why that's why fitness carries over to every aspect of your life. So whether it be work stress or heck, just driving in traffic, walking on two legs, um, dealing with, with family issues, pick anything that you would consider a, a stressor in life. Fitness makes us more, more immune to the impacts and the negative consequences of those stressors, but we also have to have the resilience and the, and the restorative capabilities to recover from those stressors because that's where the adaptations actually take place that make us stronger. Um, if you've ever read the book Anti-Fragile, yes. and you know uh, he brings up uh, uh, Talib make, brings up uh, you know the the concepts of hormesis and mithridization, which is the you know exposures to to um, poisons and and stressors that would have normally have negative consequences, but in small doses and progressive doses, we actually become immune to things, and that's literally how fitness works. That's that's how we need to look at it from that perspective. Other than from the performance side of things, but from a health perspective, that's how we have to use it. And and if if I've had a change in mindset, you know, in the last thirty years, um, you know, being a twenty one year old skull full of mush. Um, to now my incredibly mature 51-year-old self, um, it would it would be that is that you know we have to look at these things as to you know what is our goal, how does this impact us, and then what do we need to support these things? And you know as I've gotten older, Jim, it it it's it's becoming about longevity and quality of life. It's it's not about you know packing on as much muscle as I can. It's not about lifting as much weight as I can. Not that those things aren't aren't important because again they do make us more immune to the impacts of, of all stressors but we have to manage that as well because you know if we go off the deep end from a, a fitness perspective then all we're doing is is stealing resources that we need to restore and recover and to actually get better absolutely yeah and you know my history i mean i dealt with that when i ended up with alternative colitis i was pushing myself to the limit not getting enough sleep not you know, resting and recovering, uh, allowing my cardiovascular fitness to suffer, um, being caught up in super high threshold strategies and not being able to shut them off ever. 
Um, right. And then ending up, you but know, that's also why you were really good at what you did. And I right, think people correct. need to and it's like, you know, you made a choice and, and, and you drove yourself and that's why you were incredibly successful at what you did. But, yes. you know, there are consequences that we have to consider and, you know, well, we absolutely. get older. But I think, you know, if I'd have understood, you know, like what I learned from Paul Check of, you know, work, the concept of working in and the harder you train, the harder you need to rest and resting isn't necessarily a day off of the gym. Resting is mentally being able to shut off. And that all these stressors are, are very similar. Like, you know, if you work a 12-hour day training clients all day, that's no different than, than me going in and, and, and doing a max effort deadlift day. It's still a stress, and my body is not able to restore and regenerate, especially if I'm only sleeping, you know, two or, you know three or four hours a night, you know, getting up at 5 in the morning and, and training all day. Yeah. So I don't think, you know, in our, in our industry, there's not enough emphasis put on Hey, the harder you go, the harder you must rest. You don't really hear a lot of people talking about that. And then we don't have, uh, in my observation, especially as kids play more video games or inside, they don't build that resiliency through play, and then they can't handle the stressors they're thrown into. Do you are you observing that as well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the and and the the funny thing is is when we get our kids into like the athletic development program or the the developmental stuff, you know, they, one, they are amazed at how much fun that they're having. And then, you know, we, we actually do some, some pre-tests and post-tests and you want to see a kid just, you know, totally change his ability to move <clears throat> just simply by, um, you know, letting them play a little bit and, and, you know, shifting energy systems and, and such, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, just the outcome uh, of um, a more resilient kid um, is is very remarkable. Um, getting them away from the screens and getting them into open spaces and and teaching them how to manage open spaces. A lot of kids are are you know in, in front of a screen way too many hours of the day, or they're enclosed too many hours of the day. And just being out in the open is is such a change of pace for them. You know, it's it's an adjustment, but but thankfully, you know, through repeated exposures, we just see such great outcomes with these young kids. I, I agree. I, I see a lot of the the same stuff. Let's talk a little bit about. Uh, we've talked a little bit about this, and I think this is another thing that is kind of overlooked: is the position. You know, the importance of position and loading the proper position, and you know, mm-hmm. the consequences of. You know, I see a lot of young high school kids that come in here. And they're literally stuck in one strategy because they've been loading up this extended position in the weight room. And right. then the coach is frustrated or the parent is frustrated because they can't move side to side very well. Uh, they can't right. move well in general because all they have is this one strategy that's been reinforced in the weight room. Um, right. What are your thoughts on that? Well, so, so again, we, we have to look at this, this spectrum of adaptability and variability, right? So if, if, I can, if I can pick on powerlifters for a second. And I fell into this as well when I first started coaching because that's all I knew. Yeah, <laughs> but, 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 but see, again, we have to, we, we, let's think from a performance strategy first. It's like we have to drive people towards this, this reduction in variability. So powerlifting represents an extreme um, at, at one far end where where elements of variability interfere with your ability to lift a heavy weight. And so it makes sense for the, the movement system to gravitate towards a way 
to limit the variability because the, the, the more limited my movement capabilities are, the more uh, neural output I can put towards actually lifting the weight. So let's, let's just use a, a, a back squat as an example. If I steal my ability to turn, if I steal my ability to shift from side to side, now I've got an animal that can push straight up. And so that means I lift more weight. Now, the consequence of that is that the better I get at doing that, the more I carry it over to every other activity. And now I'm putting progressive load and constant load on specific structure. And so now I, it could end up as a painful experience. It could end up as a as a tissue adaptation that may not be favorable from a health standpoint. You know, so this is a normal this is a normal progression based on the application of stress. So so the stronger and more repeated the stressor that's applied, the this human system will try to narrow itself or simplify itself to protect it and to defend because we have to think from a from a little bit of a prehistoric perspective here is that that all, almost all of our our uh, automatic reactions in our body that take place are still based on our prehistoric ancestors who basically existed to survive and so we have all these survival mechanisms and and when we lose mobility it is merely a, a response of defense against some form of stressor so if we see this cumulative stress where kids are in school um, they're exposed to any number of psychological stressors just being kids um, their the brain only has so much adaptability and then we throw sports on top of that we throw training on top of that it's no wonder that we have these these kids that that are living in in this so-called extended system but it's a it's a natural consequence of what they're exposed to and so again it it, it's not a bad thing. I, I don't take these things away, but what they need to learn to understand is how to manage this, this adaptation. Because again, if I need to run fast, jump high, I need to simplify the system so I can increase the amount of power output that I generate. Right? But then when I'm finished with that activity, I have to learn how to shut it off to restore my adaptability to allow my system to restore itself and actually adapt in a favorable way so I can manage the next stressor better the next time. And that's what a lot of kids don't have is self-regulation. And so we spend a lot of time moving kids out of the positions of, of power and teaching them how to shift pressures inside their body through breathing. And so what this allows them to do is inhibit this this consequential simplification of the system um, that they would use in, in a high output situation. So now they have an off switch that's equally as good as their on switch because kids are just way too turned on all the time. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Um, I see it all the time. I mean, kids coming in with a 100 resting heart rate. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't even think my heart rate was 100 when I weighed 300 pounds. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Um, you had a nice little roundtable discussion. I think Mike was in there and Ty. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about what you have to offer at IFAST University when we get to the end after we talk about the book you have coming out. Um, mm -hmm. But it was a really nice roundtable discussion, and you gave a summary of the reasons, like the, you know, and I know um, 
you know, generalization, you know, you, you don't want to make general statements, but you gave a synopsis of why the majority of people end up in your purple room. And I was wondering if you could share that with us, because I think that's something that uh, uh, most people need to hear about. Well, a lot of it goes back to what we were talking about before is, is, is the response to stressors and the simplification of the system. So the way I always describe it, Jim, is that, it, that people kind of get is, is if I talk about blood pressure and you ask people um, what, what is normal blood pressure? And the, the typical response is 120 over 80. Even if they don't understand systolic and diastolic, everybody kind of knows that, that that blood pressure, you know, when they go to the doctor, they want something close to 120 over 80. And, and the reality is, is that's not normal blood pressure. That's kind of an average blood pressure. Because if you think about what what should your blood pressure be when you're when you're squatting 500 pounds, what should your blood pressure be when you're sleeping? And we're we're talking about extremes here. So blood pressure should be able to fluctuate up when I need high pressure under under stressful circumstances, and it should be able to be even lower when I don't really need high high blood pressure or even the the typical average blood pressure when I'm sleeping. And so that's what we're talking about. When we're talking about variability of a system. But if I'm constantly exposed to stress, I tend to have higher blood pressures even at rest. Over time, the system will adapt. So my my heart wall, the the septum in the in the heart gets thicker. The the ventricle musculature gets thicker. The the peripheral blood vessels become stiffer, and so now I have a permanent increase in in blood pressure over time. And so that's how that occurs. Well, we we adapt to all stressors with every system in our body, and so the movement system is no different. And, and so the people that, that come to see me are dealing with who knows what kind of, of stressors, whether it be physical, psychological, um, or, or you know, pick, pick any system in the body. And they come in in these defensive, limited postures or positions. And so in many cases, uh, what they're doing is they're putting a constant stress or a constant pressure or a constant tension on some structure of the body that results in an, an experience of pain. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're damaged or broken. It just means that the, the brain is recognizing the fact that there is uh, an excessive or prolonged amount of, of stress, tension, pressure on an area, and the pain is merely a signal to allow you to recognize the fact that, that maybe this area is not moving well um, or, or some element of the system needs to be more changeable or adaptable. The way I always describe it to patients is that if I, if I put you on a hard chair, I made you sit on a hard chair and we put a gun to your head and we threaten you that if you move a muscle that will pull the trigger and then I leave you there for five hours. Well, Obviously, your butt's going to start to hurt at some point in time, right? But you can't move because you got a gun to your head. And so you keep getting the signal from your butt, and the brain goes, hey, uh, I want you to move. And you say, but I can't move um, because I got a gun to my head. And so the pain intensifies. And it doesn't mean that the butt's broken or damaged. It just means there's too much pressure in one place. And so a lot of times, my patients come to see me, and that's the situation. Whether they have findings on an MRI that shows all these tissue changes and, and, and such, a lot of times those are just incidental findings or associated with changes in, as they age, 
Um, and we find these things on, on people that don't have pain all the time just incidentally. So we can't blame tissue changes on pain. But a lot of times, like I said, they come in and they're just merely in a defensive or protective posturing. We teach them how to, to manage that. We teach them how to manage pressures inside their body. We teach them how to move more. Uh, I don't want to say more effectively, but we provide them more movement options. And then a lot of times just by in doing that, we alleviate the painful experience. And so that's a, probably the largest portion of the people that actually come to see me. It's very rare that we, we see people with, with true structural issues that uh, are the – the primary influence in their in their painful experience, um, and so so again, it, there, there's nothing magical about it. It's just a matter of of you know being able to sort of measure the system with my scope of practice, which is the movement system, then trying to restore as many movement options as are available. If we if we do restore those movement options and we still don't see the the, the change in pain, then I know that it's probably beyond my scope, and then I need to refer them to someone else. So maybe they need a psychologist, maybe they need an orthopedic surgeon at this point, maybe they need a neurologist or, or immunologist for that matter. So um, that's basically uh, the way that that uh, my work evolves in the purple room. Yeah, it's, a, it's interesting when people come and meet with me and the first thing I talk to them about is walking for leisure, not for exercise, doing something like Tai Chi or restorative yoga, meditation, uh, you know, float tanks, acupuncture, massage, something where they're going to relax. Most people right. are just totally, totally shocked. And, and most people, I just... I don't think, and I'm glad you, you addressed that, especially the, the pain thing. Most people have no idea how much stress in our modern lifestyle actually affects us as an organism. Um, right. They're just right. completely clueless of that. Yeah. I mean, it's, and, and, and people don't perceive the stressors that they're exposed to. They don't even know what these stressors are, but the brain does. Sure. And, and that, that's the thing that, that, that people need to understand. It's like pe people will come in and say, well, I'm not really stressed out. And you know, then they find out, oh, well, my sleep quality is really not that great. Well, why wouldn't it be? You know, or, or they, they haven't taken a vacation in, in two years and they, they don't take time off. Like, so, you know, today for me, it's our, today's a vacation day for me, buddy. It's like, I'll be reading most of the day. I'll just be sitting outside reading a book, playing with the dog and doing all that fun stuff. Uh, because that's that's what these these things are for. We have to be thinking restorative. We have to be thinking about about the adaptability and the changeability of of the system. And and we do that through rest and restoration and 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 change. And a lot of us just don't have the capacity to change enough. And again, that's why they end up seeing me a lot of the times. Absolutely. You know, it's funny because I'll have somebody sit down and I'll ask them you know, um, what your stress level's like. And it'll usually be a, a lady in her mid, you know, thirties to forties. And she'd be like, Oh, just fine. You know, absolutely. I'm not stressed. And her foot is bouncing up and down, you know, on the floor <laughs> and her traps are like up to her ears and toned to the max. And she's breathing, you know, like this. And, and it's just like, uh, okay, you're, you're not stressed. I, I get it. But it's, uh, you know, the body doesn't lie. You know, you can see mm -hmm. people come in a mile away. Once you know what to what to look for, and, yeah. If you're if you're grocery shopping at four in the morning just because you're awake, that you may want to reconsider your uh, health strategies. You know, I actually had a patient that was like that, and uh, you know, she was a 
the wife of a prominent surgeon. She had five kids, and you know she was the chauffeur and the cook and the the mm-hmm. caregiver, and always taking care of everybody else. And the only time she had to go grocery shopping was literally four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And she just didn't didn't quite grasp the concept that that hey, you know what? You're not managing managing this well anymore. We need a strategy. And so, you know, a lot of people. You know, they're they're not broken, they're not busted, they just need a strategy. Yeah. Well, I had a lady like that as well, but she was doing two boot camps a day, one at five in the morning and one at five at night, and wondering why she couldn't get out of bed without drinking a pot of coffee in the morning. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's it's easy to fall into. I mean, I fell into that into that into that trap. Um, I see you have the aura ring, which I have as well. I've been using it for almost two years now. Um, yeah. What have you learned about yourself since you started using that ring? You mean other than the fact that I was a crappy sleeper, which I kind of knew, yeah. you know. Um, and and honestly, that the, the primary reason why I started using it was was to manage sleep. And I I, I was using a um, an app called the Sleep Rate before mm-hmm. that, which which is a chest strap. You kind of get used to this chest strap idea, but. Um, it, 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 the ring is definitely more comfortable. I'm not even aware that, that I have it on. Um, and so that was the primary reason that I, that I started to wear it. Um, that a nice secondary, uh, benefit to it is to get a, a grasp of how active you are during the day. And I don't know how, how perfect it is, but it does give you a measure of, of activity. Um, the, one of the coolest things and this is something that I, I try to instill in, in patients and clients is, is to not be so static during the day and making sure that you're, you know, because we sit so much because of work and, and, and such that it actually gives you those nice little hourly reminders to, hey, it's time to get up and stretch your legs kind of a thing. And, and so that's a nice little, little side benefit to that, although it does remind me of my mother when it, when it tells me how poorly I slept the night before. But, but you know creating an awareness of these things instantly alters behaviors. And so one of the things that, that uh, I've gotten exceptionally good at in the last year and a half to two years is establishing rituals of behavior, um, especially my morning um, and then uh, associated activities during the day, little mobility sessions that I build into the day. And, and again, so I would say that from a management perspective, getting the most out of the, the, the ring has been the, the uh, ritualization of my day, which not only has, has helped me become a better sleeper, um, and, and mover, but, Talk about time efficiency. Um, I've been more productive probably in the last six months than I have in the previous 51 years. Yeah, absolutely. For me, I, I tell people when people ask me about it all the time, I said it's a tachometer for me because you know me and my strong will. I can drive through just about anything, uh, which is good and bad at the same time. But if I see that you know that sleep going down and down and down or my preparedness going down and down and down, um, it's like, okay, evasive action is needed here. You know, I, I, if I see it, it's easier for me to not, you know, dig a hole so deep that it takes me three months to get out of, right. uh, which I, you know, I'm, I've done before. If I see it in front of my face, like I'm driving my car and it's at red line, I know I need to shift gears. 
And so right. it's, it's nice for me uh, to be able to see that, that information. So you underwent a transformation um, here recently over the last how many years? Oh, it's, let's see. It's probably been, we're going on two years probably. It's it, year and a half, two years. Yeah, somewhere there. Yeah. And the, the one of the, you know, and I know enough about it and I know how you've kind of went about it. And, you know, one of the things I like about um, your strategy is that it involves habit change and that's one of the, and building rituals. And that's one of the things that, you know, I really stress with people when they come in. Let's just start with something simple like going for a walk every day for a half an hour. And, yep. or, you know, drinking water, you know, every two hours, so you're going to drink some water or adding a protein at every meal. And it's going to vary uh, from person to person. But how did you, how did you go about starting your habit change? What did you start with and how did you build that from there? You know, it, it, it was one thing at a time. Uh, there's a great book called Your Brain at Work by David Rock. And uh, he talks about it's the first it's probably the first book I, I read that exposed me to the concept of decision fatigue. <clears throat> and so every decision that you make, you know, utilizes energy and, and we don't think about it from a brain's perspective. But, you know, a lot of times when people end up with arguments at the end of the day, I'll give you an example. I had an argument with uh, someone about um, how many duds there were in the popcorn compared to the fluffies. And, uh, it's like, okay, why does that argument even exist? You know, why did, why did that even happen? And cause it was at the end of the day <clears throat> and you had two brains that were tired and at that point you just can't self-regulate. And so, you know, the, the, the prefrontal cortex there didn't have the ability to shut off this natural defensive reaction of your, of your lizard brain. Right. And, and so we have to consider this when we're talking about behavior change, because what people do is they get so enthusiastic about the potential that, that lays before them when they're talking about whether they're trying to make a physical or a lifestyle transformation. And then they say, I'm going to take all these 12, 15 different behaviors and I'm going to do them all starting tomorrow. And they do great on the first day. And then they do OK on the second day. And then they start making some rationalizations and substitutions of behaviors and eventually they just kind of fall off the wagon because what they're doing is they're trying to do too many things at once. And, and it, it's while well, you can drive some behaviors on enthusiasm, the reality is, is that we only have so much energy to expend. And so what we have to do is we have to, to integrate behaviors one at a time lock them in so so that they get moved to a different place in the brain that is not so energy demanding. So the example that I would use would be it, when you first learn how to drive a car, your hands are at 10 and 2, you, you can barely read the street signs or pay attention to the street lights, you got to stay on the right side of the road, you got other cars that are coming at you that, that drive your attention, you got two pedals to work, so you got to coordinate the, the feet with the hands, with the eyes, with, with all of your attention, and, and at times it's overwhelming. And now when you drive, you're driving with your knee, you're adjusting the radio, texting illegally on your cell phone, eating a sandwich at the same time. Because driving then becomes mixed down into the lower centers of our brain that are much more automatic. Well, behavior change is the exact same thing. Try to change too many behaviors at once, we don't have the energy to do so. So we, we uh, 
integrate one behavior, we let it mix down to the lower center of our brain, and then we add the next one, and the next one, and the next one, slowly over time, until we've made these massive changes in our behavior. For me, um, you know, as far as picking one, sleep was number one for me. I had to... I had to make the change in, in getting more sleep and getting better sleep. And so I established a, a, a bedtime and a wake time. And strangely enough, I moved my wake time to an earlier time where most people think I need to get more sleep. I need, I need to set my clock for later. I actually set it earlier and started going to bed much earlier. Um, and you'll find that that's going to be an infinitely more effective way um, to, to add sleep. It's those hours before midnight that, that become so essential. Um, when you think about sleep, our deep sleep typically occurs more in the early phases of the evening and then REM sleep is, is later on. And we need both aspects of sleep for, for general health, but most people tend to um, miss it on both ends by going to bed too late and then getting up too early. And so that was the biggest shift for me Thankfully, um, you know, I, I took advantage of the motivation that you have when you start something and, and I got very aggressive about getting up and then I bought, um, my Philips sleep light, which is a yes. fabulous product. I have one of those. I get nothing for saying this. This is maybe the greatest product I have ever purchased. Um, if, if you don't know what it is, it's an alarm clock with a big light on the front that simulates a sunrise. And it is the coolest way to wake up because you're not jolted awake by anything. You're, even though your eyes are closed, you're exposed to the lights, your, your brain picks this up, and you just have this gradual wake up, which is one of the greatest things ever. Um, I rarely hear my alarm because I'm usually awake before the alarm would go off just because of this this sleep light and i have i man i can't tell you i have not had a single issue waking up in the morning ever and that's even if i miss my bedtime which is pretty rare but i still get up with with the sleep light every morning it is amazing it is. and so it's you know instead of hitting that you know getting a bucket of cold water dumped on you with an alarm uh, you get this nice you don't wake up feeling hung over it's Absolutely. awesome Absolutely. Um, so, so if I had to pick one thing, that that was a number one. Um, and and as soon as I started to do that, I started feeling better. And then we start feeling better. A lot of things become easier. And um, well, yeah. Then you're not you're getting your sleep. You're not craving junk. You're you know absolutely. You know. So you, if you pick fix one thing, you know, uh, you go for that walk every day for half an hour, forty five minutes, and you get some sunlight. You're getting out in the sun is going to help you sleep better at night because yep. you're getting light exposure. Yep. You're going to reduce yep. your stress levels. You're going to reduce your sugar cravings. You know, so yep. it all kind of snowballs. Absolutely, um, you got it. You that's know, exactly that's exactly what happened. It's exactly yeah. what happened, and people don't realize, you know, that this cascading effect. But it but it it, it even transferred to 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 my work related productivity. I've done more writing in the last year and a half than, than I can remember. I've done more reading, even, even though I was a pretty good reader beforehand. <clears throat> Just the diversity of the interests that I have in the last two years is has just been spectacular. Um, and, and honestly, reading more about motivation and behavior change has impacted the way that I communicate with everyone. 
um, you know, from patients to clients to colleagues. And and I tell you what, I, I just can't say enough great things about making these small, consistent, measurable changes in behavior because once you start to integrate, they magnify everything in a favorable direction. Yeah, it's like buying a dividend stock. I mean, it just it just pays you over and over again. Um, yep. Who did you write this book for and what is the main goal? Like, why did you write the book and what, what are you looking to, uh, who are you looking to help? So, so this, this was actually, uh, um, a response to the most common question that I get. So, um, if, if you're, you're in the purple room with me at any time, you, chances are the patient that I'm working with is going to be a male He's going to be about 40 years or older, and he's going to have been either a previous exercise, a previous athlete, or um, somebody that is currently trying to exercise around uh, some sort of painful experience or an injury. And I, I get two questions, typically. Can I keep exercising while I go through rehab? And then at the point of discharge, what do I do now? And I think the expectation of the patient is that, oh, this is a really simple question that I'm asking, and it only requires a five-minute response. Well, the reality is, is like, what do I do now is a massive question. And so um, I was always a bit stuck in regards to my response, and, and I felt like I was really doing people a disservice in, in my answers. It's not that the answer was – was was incorrect but because of constraints of time and and the the uh, expansiveness of the of the needed response i just wasn't doing them uh, a great service and so uh that's why i wrote the book it's for my most common patient which is my over 40 guys and then this answers the question what do i do now so instead of a five minute response now i got a 20 chapter response <laughs> and so I can just hand them this book and I, and I say, here's the answer to that question. And so that's how the book came about. Awesome. Let's talk about uh, where, where is that available for people to uh, – it's in the pre-phase the pre phase right now, isn't it? Right. So so I'm in pre-launch right now. It's, it's actually still being formatted for Kindle. Um, so the target date right now I believe is September 15th. Um, and that's, a, that's a soft target, but, but we're pushing hard for it. Um, apparently the, uh, exercise related books are a little bit more complicated to do, um, in the Kindle format, but, um, what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to give this sucker away for free for a couple of days, um, through Amazon. If, if it's at all possible that the size of the book depends on, on whether you can actually do this or not, but I'm going to figure out a way to get it done no matter what. So we're in a pre-launch phase. If you go to billhartman.net, um, right below my, my primary header, there's a little, uh, link that you can click on and I can give you first notice of when it's available. And then I will also let you know when it's available for free. Nice. So, so you can actually download it, um, at, at absolutely no cost. The goal here is to get it into as many hands as possible and help as many people as we can. So, you know, this was never intended as a, you know, a, a, as much of a capitalist as I am, this was never intended as, as that being the driver. This is about getting it 
into, into people's hands and, and to help as many people as we can. Awesome. That's great. I've watched your evolution. Um, I've known you for quite a long time. And you're always learning. You know, every time I talk to you um, mm -hmm. or I listen to you speak, my head hurts for about 10 or 15 minutes after you're done um, <laughs> as I try and absorb uh, your information. How do you go about, as you learn new things, integrating it into what you're already doing? You know, there's elements of that that are, that are kind of automatic. Um, we, we, we learn by association and we learn by analogy. So we learn through stories and we learn based on what we already know. So, so there's elements of that that, that uh, like I said, are, are, are just automatic. So every time you read something, there has to be an association with, with something that you already know. But I think that uh, the way we structure learning has a lot to do with how we absorb the information. And, and I've been getting into that a lot recently. There's a great book called called Make It Stick, which is literally an evidence-based approach to learning. So it's a, it's an essential book, I think. And it's and it to be honest with you, Jim, it's the best training book I've ever read. And it's not about training, but everything that we do in the gym and on the track and on the field and on the court is all about learning. So when we talk about motor learning, that's literally what we're doing. And so. Every training session is an exposure to information, and this is information that the body's producing itself, that the brain recognizes. So we learn how to manage fatigue, we learn how to produce force, we learn how to manage position. So this is all about learning, and and you know just getting better at structuring how I'm exposing myself to information, um, the frequency with with which. You expose yourself to information intentionally, allowing yourself to forget things actually enhances your ability to learn. So I think that that's had a lot to do um, with with my current ability, and I, and I, and I think it's I'm I'm not great at this yet. I'm trying to. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to throw out a name, uh, Eric Otter. Um, Eric has the ability to process and integrate more information than anybody I've ever met. Um, that's a Zach statement. <laughs> yeah, that is, is another kid that's, that's, that's I call him a kid. He, he's like almost 30. Um, and, and, or he's 30. I can't remember. He's my own kid and I can't remember how old he is. But, um, you know, uh, um, Connor Ryan, uh, Doug Kachijan. Oh my gosh. These guys, I don't know. They, they just have a gift. Adam Loyakano is another kid that's, that's going to blow people away. He just got a gig with uh, the Atlanta Hawks. These guys can process more information than I've ever seen anybody anybody utilize, and they're gonna they're gonna be great. Um, so they're already doing what I am trying to get better at at age 51. Um, I don't suck at it, but but again, still trying to get better. But we can we can always get better based on how we expose ourselves to information, and then that that's what allows us to integrate it. Yeah, I'll just see like you know I'm about to talk a little bit about IFAST University. Uh, mm -hmm. And what you guys have going on with that, which is fantastic. But I'll see like a, a coach or, you know, somebody will go to a seminar and they'll learn something new and they basically think they have to throw everything out the window <laughs> that they've learned yeah. and have to yeah. start all over instead of picking one or two things and implementing them. Um, right. uh, I'm, you know, I, I want you to talk a little bit about IFAST University, but I just want to give, I know there's a lot of coaches that, that watch or listen to this, you know, if you do decide to check out IFAST University, there's going to be a lot of things that you've probably not been exposed to before, 
you know, I would recommend just watching a few things and then getting some concepts, especially the, 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 the concept of the thorax and how things are supposed to move and the breathing and things like that and finding one or two things to integrate and not just completely, you know, throwing everything you've been doing out the window. Um, talk about a little bit about IFAST University and what you guys have going on there. Sure. Um, you know, this is this is this was a, a project that we had talked about for a really long time. Um, there are there are gaps in in knowledge and understanding in our industry because the the, the entry into our industry is actually it, it's easy. So so the the uh, you know you could take a, a thirty day certification and then somehow you're now qualified to 30 take someone minute, thirty minute certification online. Well, <laughs> One ninety nine. Yeah. You're you're a trainer. You know. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, you're somehow able to take someone's health into your own hands and then start to manipulate that. Um, and, and so what we wanted to do was, was fill some of the information gap, um, literally by providing understanding of foundational sciences, which is missing. So, you know, we, we, we see a lot of people in our industry that just don't have a filtering system. And the, 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 the way I've always expressed it is that, you know, if you don't have a counter argument for what someone is presenting, you're going to have to accept that as fact. And so that it drives a, a, a number of things in the industry that either we don't need, or it's merely, you know, uh, for, for the, the sake of, of commercial benefit, um, or it's, you know, something old that is that has been presented as something new um which which again novelty drives a, a lot of our of our industry and so what we're trying to do is is provide this this base of thought so again we have literally foundational courses on physiology and neurology so we can actually create our own filtering system of what is good information what is necessary what do i not need to attend to and then we superimpose a great deal of of literally what we do um the way we structure things the way we execute things the way we coach things um you know jay chung our our morning guy is the master of analogy and and how to cue and coach and um it, it's extremely powerful you got ty terrell who's one of the best speed coaches around um you know literally giving away th this free information on a regular basis and and literally how he approaches things and you know mike and i are, are on there you know, a, f a fair amount as well, you know, just providing coaching, understanding, and, and again, foundational information that is lacking that uh, will allow people in our industry to make better decisions, not only to be more effective, but to keep people safe and, uh, you know, to uh, extend a, a career that, that uh, may be limited simply by a lack of information. It's been a huge help for me. Um, you know, I was in elementary school. Uh, my, my elementary ed is my, is my major uh, science, phys ed, and, and history. Um, you know, so I didn't get all the anatomy, physiology stuff. I learned in the trenches. You know, I, I basically did internships and worked in the weight room in Arizona at Liberty. Um, so I learned by doing. Uh, so going back and being able to use this as a resource 
to get all the anatomy and physiology has been a huge help to me. And then just watching uh, some of the different ways they cue things and, and, and listening to the, the talks that they have, the roundtables and such, has been a huge um, a blessing for me. So I, I can't recommend it enough. Um, it's, it's a lot of information. If you could just go on there every day and watch, it's in a great video format, and they make the anatomy and physiology very understandable. So if you could just go on there every day and watch one video, uh, you'll be a, a much better coach. So, I appreciate you saying that. We 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 work hard at it, and it's a you know it's a labor of love, as you would say. We, well, you we can enjoy- tell you can tell you care, and I've known a lot of uh, I've known Mike and you for a long time, and you know obviously you're in this to be profitable, but that's not your number one goal. I mean, um, your number one goal is to help as many people as possible, and then the profits will come as a side effect of that, whereas opposed to some other people in the industry where the pro- everything's driven by profit and they're going to put information out there that's more based on an emotional response to get people to buy things. Um, and you and Mike, people like Cressy, um, you guys, you know, are, are all about just putting out high quality information to help people. And it's uh, it's, it's a breath of fresh air. That's for sure. Well, I appreciate that, Jim. I really well, do. You're welcome. Well, is there anything else you would like to touch on before we wrap this up and you can get on with your, uh, with your, with your day? Well, um, just give people a heads up that, you know, the book's going to be free for a couple of days here coming in a, in a week or two. And, and if they want to go ahead and sign up at billhartman.net, I would appreciate that. Um, they, they can find you on Facebook as well. And then mm-hmm. you, I think you have an IFAST university pay or an IFAST university page. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't forget IFASTU, um, for sure. Cause we're on there all the time. Um, lots of free stuff on there too. So, um, plenty of information out there coming from all ends. Awesome. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in to another edition of the Jim Laird show brought to you by body. I O F N as always, please can support Kiefer in his endeavors so I can continue to do this show. You've been listening to The Jim Laird Show with your host, Jim Laird. If you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. Don't miss the next episode of The Jim Laird Show when he'll probably say something inappropriate but unexpectedly insightful.